You all know the liturgical color for Lent is purple. It represents Christ's reign and royalty and Christ's passion, but I was surprised Lisa didn't have on her Carolina blue stole this morning. She restrained herself, she says. Let us pray. Holy God, we ask that you bless our hearing and our speaking of your holy word, that we might be changed not only this day, but throughout the season of Lent. Amen. It's safe to bet Jesus really was tempted as he was about to embark on his earthly ministry. This story of Jesus' temptation, it's recorded in three of the four Gospels. And this morning, we will hear Jesus and the devil sparring with Scripture. You see, Jesus wasn't the first person, nor will he be the last to be tempted in the history of God's people. There was Moses, who was famished for 40 days on a mountain, and Elijah, and the people of Israel for 40 years. And lest we forget that cunning serpent who convinced Adam and Eve that if they only took a bite of that fruit, they could actually be like God. But this morning, we'll see how it goes for Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 4, verses 1 through 15 is what we'll read. It's on page 936 in your pew Bible. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I will give it to anyone I please. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, God will command his angels concerning you and protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that not that not so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. Then Jesus, filled with the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country, and he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. May God bless the hearing and the speaking of God's holy word. Amen. Well, yes, it's true. The blue devils are blue, and in time they will likely redeem themselves. But this is a different devil altogether. you got to give them credit when credit is due. 
The devil's timing is impeccable. As soon as Jesus was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. And so first of all, Jesus is totally isolated and probably lonely. Second, he's hungry. Nobody can make good decisions when they're hungry. And third, Jesus was in the middle of a major life transition. Fred Craddock points to the fact that this is a moment of major temptation because Jesus was on the cusp of his earthly ministry. To this point, so far, no crowds have been fed, no sermons have been preached, no chains have been broken, the lepers and the widows, they're still exiled, and he has yet to go head-to-head -head with any of the religious leaders or scribes or political officials. He was in the process of aligning what he did, his vocation, with who God created him to be, his identity. And so, while his mama had high hopes, and his genealogy was impressive, and God had affirmed him in baptism, Jesus had yet to even take a leap. He had not yet written the first chapter or even applied to the school or studied for the test. He hadn't done any of the hard work. And so what if Jesus can't do what God planned for him? What if he's not capable? What if it's not possible? How is Jesus going to achieve the salvation of humankind? You see, the devil does what the devil always does in times like these, and he starts with, if you are who you say you are, and if you can do what you say you can do, and if you trust in God like you say you trust in God, and there we have it right there. Faith and doubt are so intricately woven together. But folks like us, folks like Jesus, who was fully human, folks like you and me, we're not tempted by the things that are outside of our reach or by what we cannot do. We're tempted by what's actually possible. We're tempted by things that are in our reach. And the greater our strength the greater the temptation. Whatever it is, you can assume that a temptation is usually offering us more. Temptation is about rising and achieving and gaining for our own benefit at all cost. Stones to bread, you say, devil? Yeah, that's right. Fullness all the time. Complete comfort. All you can eat. All you can consume, self-reliance, self-satisfaction. We don't need God to provide anything. Not a thing. Not if we can turn stones to bread. All glory and adoration of every kingdom on earth. That's right. More affection, more popularity, more status, more political influence, more notoriety. You mean... Not even my foot will be dashed. That's right, Jesus. Complete protection, complete security, complete control, total authority without any risk. Who needs God if we can achieve everything we want and need and desire by our own accord? 
I don't know about you guys, but for me, there's a fine line between a call to serve God and the temptation to seek power or prestige. You see, this doubt the devil brings to Jesus when Jesus is hungry and alone, it's not really about doubt, doubt of Jesus. But as much as anything, the devil is tempting Jesus to doubt who God is. The devil is calling God's power to provide and protect and to save into question. And evidently, being committed to God doesn't exempt any of us, not even Jesus, from the struggle. Most of us are uncomfortable talking about power, much less evil. But all of this stuff that the devil is dangling in Jesus' face, all that is about power and control. And I got to tell you, I'm hearing that word a lot, evil. I'm hearing it when I turn on the news. I'm hearing it when I have conversations with friends. And I'm not sure we know what to do with it in our secular world. You see, like so many other words, if we take a biblical word out of the Bible and we try to make sense of it, it is going to overwhelm us. And you see, evil is about power. And without God, we humans have a tendency to misuse and pervert power for our own gain. And so this morning, we find Jesus taking evil head on. Now, perhaps evil is a force in the world. Or perhaps evil truly can be embodied in a person who has forgotten what it truly means to be human. I know you're thinking about the person that I'm thinking about. But the devil is no cartoon character with horns and a pitchfork. He is an anthropomorphized version of all that works against or resists God. God's will, God's love, God's power in the world. And I cannot think of anything more terrifying than a life or a world without God's power. See, God's power is perpetuated and propelled by love. It requires human relationships and attachment and trust and empathy and compassion and peace and forgiveness and integrity and courage and mutual respect. And it even requires a commitment to self-sacrifice for the common good. On the other side of things, evil. The evil we hear about in the news. The evil we encounter on the streets. The evil we even feel in our hearts from time to time. Evil perpetuates isolation and envy and fear and anger and manipulation and paranoia and scarcity and an unbridled desire for control. Evil is the intent or even the lack of restraint from inflicting harm on God's creation. You see, evil, it threatens the belief that the arc of the universe the arc of our future really, truly bends towards justice and peace for every single human on this planet. I think it was James Cone who referred to Reinhold Niebuhr in the 20th century who said, humanity's capacity for justice makes democracy possible, but humanity's inclination for injustice makes it necessary. 
You see, if you look back over the course of history, it's not as if we humans have done a particularly good job of handling power. I mean, it is so tempting to take matters into our own hands. And the next thing you know, it's for our own gain. And so sometimes the lines between desire and love, they get a little bit blurry. And sometimes the voice of our ambitious egos and God's call to selfless risk, sometimes those are indistinguishable. And sometimes we find out the hard way that our plans were not God's plans at all. Come on, Adam. Come on, Eve, take a bite. Don't you want to be like God? Come on, Abraham. Come on, Sarah. Hagar's with you right now. Where's God? Come on, Moses. Come on, Israel. Come on, King David. Come on, Jesus. Never mind God's will. Never mind God's steadfast love. Never mind God's track record. Everyone at the top compromises sometimes. The voice of temptation can be so convincing and so persistent that once we hear it, we begin to justify our own cloudy decision-making and the lies of our emptiness, they begin to sound rational. We hear the voices, they say, oh, you've earned it. She won't understand. They won't notice. It's not possible. You're never going to make it. There isn't enough. Oh, just one. Oh, just one more. She has it coming. It's not fair. You only have one life. It's for their own good. You can pay it back. So much harder than you thought it would be. Aren't you sick of trying and waiting and being disappointed? You can't take it anymore. No one cares. You're not worth it. On our worst days, it might seem that the scales are tipping. When we isolate ourselves, we feel lonely, our decisions really are skewed. Loneliness, according to scholars and researchers, is the distress someone feels when their social connections do not meet their need for emotional intimacy. These days, they're claiming that we are in the midst of a loneliness epidemic. But loneliness is not aloneness, and it's not singleness, and it's not solitude. The anecdote for loneliness is being known and being loved. And while Jesus was certainly known and loved by God, I suspect he was terribly lonely out there. The devil might have been pretty good company, but the devil neither knew nor loved Jesus. And that makes this situation super dangerous. Yes, evil does its best work when we're isolated, but rest assured, and this is the thing we always forget about this story. Jesus was not alone. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And nowhere in the story does it say that the Holy Spirit left him. You see, Jesus relied on a truth beyond his desperate feelings of hunger or loneliness by trusting in what he knew to be true about who God was and what God did. Jesus responds to the devil by quoting Scripture. If we look back, if we look back in Scripture, if we look back in our own lives, we will find evidence of God's grace and love and steadfastness. 
if we turn back to friends who will hold us accountable in faith and love, if we find a counselor or a pastor or a parent, we will find evidence of God's power and faithfulness. We never have to face temptation or evil alone. And that is the power of the gospel. To be clear, Luke is turning the character of what power is on its head. And Jesus is not in the business of capitalism or achievement. Jesus returns from the wilderness and does not seek power or coercion or influence over other people. Nowhere in the entire gospel do we hear Jesus walking up to somebody and say, hey, I want to rule over you. He doesn't control other people. Jesus liberates them and frees them from what? From the grips of temptation and greed and power and hate and sin and fear and regret and pride so that people like me and you can open our borders and share our homes and pour out God's love to those who are fleeing war. Jesus is in the emptying business, not the filling up business so that we can care for those who are hurting, so that we can share our stories of liberation and freedom and grace with the broken and hurting and fearful world. There is nothing, there is nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Amen. Friends, crowds of people followed Jesus wherever he went. And they went for many different reasons. Some wanted to be healed by him. Others wanted to hear the stories that he had to tell. And some were just curious about what it is he was up to. But it really didn't matter why the people were there. It really only mattered that they were there. And we too are here for different reasons today, and it doesn't matter why we are here, because here is the place where we are all welcome. Here is the place where power is demonstrated in love, and here is the place where Christ simply says, take, eat, remember, this is for you. So let's gather here at this table whoever we are and however we are, because Christ welcomes all of us. We are all invited, because we are all guests, and because we all need this food. Let's pray. We gather here, gracious God, with hearts of thanksgiving and praise. We give thanks for the gifts with which you have blessed us for the created world in which we live, for family and friends with whom we share our lives, for food on our plates and roofs over our heads, for all those things that make life abundant, we offer our thanks and praise. 
We also gather here, merciful God, with hearts that ache for the pain in the world. We lift our prayers to you for our neighbors in the Ukraine and Russia, for refugees all over the world, and those living amid violence and fear. We offer our prayers for those who find life to be challenging and difficult this day, those who worry about their health or the health of a loved one, those who live in places where peace and justice are known by their absence rather than their presence, those who worry about where the next meal will come from or where they will sleep tonight, and those who have been told that for some reason or another they are too different to be acceptable, those who grieve a loss, be it a loved one, a marriage, or a future hoped for. May all who struggle in life know that they are not alone and that they are held in a love that will never let them go. God of the ages, here at this table, we remember all the ways you have spoken to your children throughout history. Through prophets and priests, you call us to a new way of living together. Through voices expected and unexpected, you challenge us to see the world with new eyes. We stand in the midst of a cloud of witnesses, and we share the cry of ages. Blessed is the one who comes in God's name. But of all the ways you've communicated with us, we who call ourselves Christian take special notice of the man from Nazareth, the one in the wilderness, Jesus, child of Mary. We seek to live the love that he modeled and taught, accepting all regardless of status or station, eating and speaking with the outcast and the lowly. He offered us a foretaste of the time when the reign of God is real on earth in all its fullness. So gracious God, we ask you to pour out your spirit upon this gathering, this table, and this meal. As we eat and drink in fellowship with each other, may we, may we be filled with hope for the future. May the spirit move amongst us in this place and allow this meal to rejuvenate and empower us as we go out to live your love in this world. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, we give thanks that on the night of Jesus' arrest, he gathered at a table with those who were closest to him, and he took bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take this and eat. And whenever you do, do so in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Remembering the boundless love revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Every time we take this bread and we drink of, the, of this cup, we proclaim the resurrection until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
This is the bread of life. cup of salvation. And now let us pray in thanksgiving. Thank you, merciful God, for gladness in this bread and cup. 
for love that cannot die, for peace the world cannot give, for joy in the company of friends, for the splendors of creation and for the mission of justice you have made our own. Give us the gifts of this Holy Communion, oneness of heart, love for neighbor, forgiveness of enemies, the will to serve you every day in life that never ends. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this time, we invite you to consider how you might share your power in this world in love. And make no mind about it, you do have power to share. During our anthem, we want you to discern ways you might do that with your gifts of money, with your gifts of time, and with the talents that have been entrusted to you. Let us give of ourselves freely.
please join me in prayer as we dedicate our lives and gifts to God. Gracious and generous God, we are amazed by the abundance of your good gifts. Thank you for food that sustains us on our journey, the company of saints to whom we are joined, and for giving us your work to do on earth. We offer back to you a portion of all we have received in celebration of your greatest gift, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. someone you do not know out on the lawn, I would like to say thank you to the Sauda family and the Olick family for helping us with worship this morning. And now as you leave this place, may God's Spirit fill you up. May God's Spirit lead you wherever you need to go. And may God's Spirit sustain you until we meet again. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen.